Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Brayman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about initiation of HIV treatment. This is the first chat of a two-part installment, and thanks as always for being here, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Um, I thought what we do today is just talk briefly about um, antiretroviral therapy initiation, um, and this is going to be part one or two, um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, a lot of different things uh, in these two sections, but first thing I want to talk about, obviously, you want to get people undetectable. That's our most important thing, and to, to decrease morbidity mortality around antiretro with antiretroviral therapy for people who are living with HIV. And we do this mostly with, obviously, with the use of, use of effective antiretroviral therapy um, to achieve and maintain viral loads for our patients. And we want to get those viral loads below the level of quantification, which means that people are undetectable. And many of us know this, that do HIV care, but if you're someone that's new to this, you know, that's really our main goal is getting people undetectable. Um, one of the things that's actually been really kind of addressed by the guidelines and I think has really been worked out in recent years is really the issue of when to start question. Um, so right now we have really have two large, there's other ones, but these are the two big ones. It's the start and temprano studies, which really help us to answer some of those questions about the optimal time of when to initiate therapy. And um, both of these studies, and I'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about the start study, but both of these really demonstrated that reductions in morbidity, morbidity mortality among individuals with HIV who had um, CD4 counts over 500 um, and who were randomized to receive ART immediately uh, compared to waiting and delaying their antiretroviral therapy, the people who, who actually got the therapy earlier had, had less morbidity and less mortality from a non-HIV standpoint. So what I want to impart, hopefully, in this at least in this first um, episode, is really to kind of get everybody the sense that, that waiting to start antiretroviral therapy is bad. Um, starting as soon as possible is really good. Um, and that's really the, the gist of these studies. And why was that? Uh, yeah, so, well, I think the, the, the point is that these studies really showed that, you know, when waiting to start meds until your CD4 count fell, you know, it really put participants in the study at risk for AIDS-defining conditions and certain non AIDS-defining conditions as well. So that's, I think that's really the key piece of it, Mariana, is that there's, there's non-AIDS-defining conditions actually were worse as well in these studies. Because you got to remember, these patients all have decent CD4 counts, so they only let people fall, fall to like below 350. So they're really not at risk for a lot of the HIV-related opportunistic infections because their T cells are high. But this um, this... But in addition to that, this additional analysis was also done recently, which looked at the magnitude of CD4 recovery is really directed, directly correlated with the CD4 account at initiation. So many individuals who started treatment with CD4s you know, under 350 um, do not achieve CD4 counts over 500, um, even after up to like 10 years on antiretroviral therapy. So they, 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 they could have had a shorter life expectancy, um, than those who initiated therapy at higher CD4 thresholds. And that's really a big piece. So um, shorter life expectancy than those who initiated therapy with higher CD4 counts. And I think it really gets to the issue of getting people tested early and getting them on therapy. But of greater concern is the diagnosis of HIV is, is delayed more often in certain populations. And we showed this in the study. They actually showed that it was more common in non-white individuals and also in those who inject drugs, live in rural communities, and also in older adults. So when we think about disparities in care, we think about people who may not have good access to care because they're living in rural areas, people who inject drugs, 
and also older people, they may be at, at higher risk for diagnosis, uh, of delayed HIV diagnosis and not testing as, as, as frequently. So many individuals in these groups um, developed AIDS-defining illnesses within one year of diagnosis. So this is also a call for more testing, I think, and testing earlier. And um, and I think we, we I think we talked about this before. But while while the, the the task force, the U.S. Preventative Task Force, recommends testing for persons aged 15 to 65, um, testing later in life and leaving HIV untreated longer is not the best strategy for immune recovery. Now, what about Rapid Start? What can you tell listeners about that? Well, kind of leads as a nice segue into the whole Rapid Start idea, right? So, so some persons with HIV may, may fail to engage in care, and I think this is a common issue that we have uh, in the United States and other other places as well. Um, between the initial HIV diagnosis and the time the HIV meds are prescribed, and that's something that we used to see much more commonly before we used to do Rapid Start. But so some have implemented some of these programs aimed at really what they call RAI, rapid initiation of, of antiretrovirals, rapid initiation of um, uh, uh, of therapy, um, uh, basically to give people uh, on therapy as soon as possible, oftentimes on the same day. And as it is a strategy really to increase ART uptake and engagement and care and to accelerate the, the time to ART-mediated viral suppression. I think that's another piece that we're really trying to make sure happens. Um, I think another part of this is that the Rapid Start program really has the potential to reduce the time during which people with newly diagnosed HIV can transmit HIV. So I think we we, we know about this, but the Rapid ART initiation strategy is really supported by um, by randomized controlled trials that perform in resource-limited settings outside of the U.S. And only observational studies have been done in the U.S. that, that have included both immediate initiation of ART on the same day and also rapid start within out within days or weeks of uh, of diagnosis. So we have immediate and then we have kind of this little bit of a delay, but it's still kind of rapid. If we can get people on therapy within, you know, weeks um, of therapy of, of diagnosis is really important. You know, the one thing that's a really a key issue with all this, Marianne, is that there's no real randomized controlled trials in the United States. So there's been several prospective observational studies, you know, which have demonstrated the, the feasibility of same-day ART initiation. And, and the one I want to talk about a little bit is the citywide implementation in San Francisco. This is called the RAPID program, and this has been published. It basically looked at 225 patients who were newly diagnosed with HIV and showed uh, a median time from HIV diagnosed to, dose diagnosis to ART start of zero days. And it was a range, so but most of the vast majority of people got therapy on the same day. And then the most importantly, I think, is this part, is that the median time from ART initiation to viral suppression was 41 days. So, so really what that tells us is that within probably a month and a half, right, most of these patients, the vast majority of them, or at least half of them, are, are at, uh, at virologic suppression really quickly. So we think about you, you think about getting people in a detectable faster to prevent transmissions. This is a, obviously a, an important program. Um, and over the immediate follow-up of about one year, 92% of the patients had actually achieved virologic suppression. So really good suppression rates in, in really kind of a difficult-to-treat population. Rapid study included diverse, uh, traditionally marginalized populations. Substantial proportion of patients had substance use disorder, which is about over 50%. Uh, mental health disorders were 48%. Unstable housing, 30%. So think about homeless people with major substance use disorders uh, and potential major uh, mental health disorders, we're still able to do the rapid start and did very well on it. 
But the one thing I always try to impart when I talk about this is to say that we often think that people who are homeless or people that have had mental illness or people have this or that or this or that, we can make all of the different reasons why we think this won't work. The bottom line, it does work in patients if you do it right and you connect with the patients and they, and they can show up back to clinic. That's really the key. But a key point about this study is that the population really, they were difficult to treat patients, difficult to access care is an inner city, but also realize that importantly is that this place also has um, in San Francisco, they have a lot of wraparound service services and they have, you know, case management, et cetera. So there are some advantages to them as well, but just know that this rapid start can be done in a lot of different populations. What do the guidelines recommend as far as timing of ARV therapy? Yeah. So right now, DHHS, this is the guidelines that we use in the United States, <clears throat> initiating ART at the time of diagnosis when possible or soon afterwards to increase the uptake of ART. And, you know, I, I would say three to three to seven days is probably the max, you know, I think in my mind, at least, um, but really to decrease the time required to achieve linkage to care, biologic suppression, and also improve the rate of virologic um, uh, suppression among individuals who have already received an HIV diagnosis. Are there reasons why you wouldn't start right away? What if the person is acutely ill? Yeah, so this often comes up too, Mariana. People often ask this, especially for us. And, you know, I'm, I'm working in a hospital setting a lot of times, and, and this comes up. And either with new patients or people who are returning to care who are sick with an HIV-associated OI, for example, an opportunistic infection, um, while starting ART in the setting of an acute uh, AIDS or AIDS-associated opportunistic infection, malignancy, um, some of these things that you can improve immune function by getting people on therapy as soon as possible. But there are some some places where, really you should really delay therapy. And one example is, is the uh, cryptococcal meningitis story and also TB meningitis. So tuberculosis meningitis and also cryptococcal meningitis. Immediate ART may increase the risk of serious what we call iris or immune reconstitution, inflammatory syndrome issues uh, in the setting. Um, and so some providers will have a short delay before initiating therapy, a couple of weeks, maybe it might be longer. You have to really go back and look at all the studies and the, the individual um, type of meningitis that you're dealing with. But after ART initiation, the patient really should be closely monitored regardless of whether or not they're, they had a delay or not um, for signs of virus. Um, and, and I think for most patients with other OIs that, that are not cryptococcal meningitis or TB meningitis, um, most would start therapy as soon as possible to get them undetectable and then go from there. So for example, somebody has PJP or somebody has you know, other, other things that are not meningitis, you potentially could potentially start them as soon as possible. I think that's a reasonable, a reasonable strategy. John, can you talk to us a little bit more about early versus delayed therapy? What data do we have to support what we do for patients? Um, I think uh, I think that another part of this, Marianne, is the START study is what I will focus on here, just to give you some of the data. So we kind of mentioned this already, but this is a large multinational study uh, looked at the role of early therapy. Um, and patients were asymptomatic, they're living with HIV, and they looked at reducing AIDS-defining illness, serious non-AIDS events of death. And then when the study was being done, initiating ART was not recommended until uh, CD4 count fell below 350. So they studied ART. Uh, naive patients, so they had never been on therapy. They all had CD4 counts over 500, and they got randomized either to start therapy right away or to wait to initiate therapy until the T cells fell less than 350 or until they developed a clinical indication for therapy. That's called the deferred initiation arm. So you have 
uh, immediate start versus the, the deferred initiation arm. 4,600 patients roughly, follow-up of about three years. And if you look at serious AIDS or non-AIDS events, was reported in 42 participants, which is just under 2%, in the people who initiated ART early, and 96, 96 patients uh, in the deferred ART arm, which is almost double. So this really favored early ART. The hazard ratio was 0.43, meaning there's about a 57% reduction in uh, serious AIDS or non-AIDS events in people who started early versus those that waited. So hopefully this is clear to people that there's data that really supports this whole idea of rapid start. And a lot of it comes from, from this start study, I think, to get people on therapy as soon as possible instead of having them wait. Now, the other thing that's also important too, Mariana, is CD4 counts. So patients who had good CD4 counts, the most common uh, clinical events reported were TB and malignancies. And the most interesting part in this mine is that about 60% of those events uh, in the deferred arm occurred in people with CD4 counts still above 500. So what this tells us is that even though there's evidence for the benefit of initiating ERT, even before CD4 counts declined below the threshold. So even, even with T-cells over 500, there was still a benefit for patients. So regardless of gender, age, plasma viral load, et cetera, all the results were the same. But the most important piece is that even in people who had T-cells that were higher, over 500, they still had a higher risk of TB and um, uh, evidence for, uh, you know, there's evidence for starting those patients as well, even though their T cells are really much higher. Um, so I guess, Mary, in the end, really the START study demonstrated that the protective effect of ART among individuals with HIV who had CD4 counts over 500, uh, and this and the Temprano study really support guideline recommendations that ART be initiated in all patients regardless of CD4 count and if you can, the earlier you can start, the better off you are. Are there any other benefits of starting early? Yeah, so I kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I think the other piece of this is also this concept of U equals U. And we've reviewed this recently, And uh, but if you're undetectable, you won't transmit sexually. Uh, you won't transmit HIV to others. And I think U equals U is an important concept. And when we think about getting people to undetectable, the sooner the better, I think, from a public health perspective. So a key goal of ART and rapid start is to really prevent transmission of HIV to seronegative sexual partners. And also, we'll talk more about uh, what to start with in another podcast, but the choice of, of regimen also may play a role in how fast people get undetectable. And if you look at INSTI-based regimen, so integrase-based regimen, which is what we're going to be using for most patients, um, they really do get people undetectable more quickly and get people suppressed more quickly. And I think that's another key piece of, of uh, another benefit of starting early, depending on what you start with, you really get those people undetectable more, more quickly. As we begin to wrap up, what else do providers need to know about this? So i just say a couple more things. Just uh, don't forget about adherence. I, th I think, um, you, you know, I've been working in this field for a long time and, and people have to be ready to start. So while rapid start is, you know, we, we talked about this, we want everybody to do it, we want everybody to get out therapy as soon as possible. The patients still have to be ready and they still may be facing challenges that we have, that we face with our patients each and every day. So they have to be sure they're at, that they have housing, don't forget about the important things, housing, substance use disorders, are they being treated, psychiatric illness, um, other comorbidities that may prevent people from starting on the same day, especially as our patients get older who may be relinking to care, they may have been out of care for a while, what are their problems, what are their challenges, and how can we meet them where they are to make sure that they get, get what they need. Another thing, too, it's a challenge for some people is getting insurance set up on the same day. And this it may sound easy, just call the insurance company, get it set up. It's not always that easy for some people. So while we try to do this with everybody, be sure to remember to meet patients where they're at. 
And I think despite we want rapid start for everybody, some patients may not work for, for. And so if you look at the data, even from San Francisco, it can be done for everybody. But I hope this is really uh, going to be um, going to be a helpful strategy for people who are trying to take care of the patients the best they can. But most importantly, I think, you know, people who are listening today, if you don't know much about rapid start, hopefully you've learned a little bit about um, about why we do rapid start and why we're doing it and all the all the kind of background for it. And in the next podcast, you'll hear a little bit about which meds we should start um, when we're trying to do this for people. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about initiating HIV treatment. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for the next installment of this two-part series on initiating HIV treatment on Nika in the Know.